We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. dive into part two of today's show and this is going to be an interesting one because the mo i have a theory and a belief the issue is some of the more recent national champions don't necessarily have evidence for that in a traditional way i think that's a debatable point but i look at michigan for example and i don't know that you could say that michigan has a star on offense i think there are certain people that have fallen in love with J.J. McCarthy, and J.J. certainly had some clutch, had a little bit of a clutch gene for Michigan, which I appreciate and respect, but he's not a star. Blake Corum was not a star for Michigan this year in an individual sense. You could say maybe their offensive line was a star group, and that's definitely possible, but I don't know that this leader's line was that. I think you can make that case for 2022. I think you can make that case for 2021, but not this year's group. And then you look at Georgia. When they won the title in 2022, I think they definitely had a star. That was Brock Bowers. But did they really have a star in 2021? It was Brock Bowers, that kind of guy. He was certainly productive, but was he a star yet? I think a lot of people would argue that by the end of the year, he was. Uh, so I would argue that Georgia had a star, but even though it wasn't necessarily in the traditional sense of a guy that's like a Heisman Trophy candidate, whatever the case may be, you know, 2020, Alabama had multiple. You had Najee Harris, of course, and Mac Jones, and then – Obviously, your, your biggest star was Devontae Smith. 2019 LSU had, what, three stars, in my opinion. Joe Burrow, uh, you obviously had Jordan Jefferson and Jamar Chase. 2018, you had certainly had stars. You had Travis Etienne. You had T. Higgins. You had Justin Ross. You had Trevor Lawrence. 2017 Alabama, you could you could argue, you know, didn't necessarily have any, like, singular star on that team. I think that's a debatable point. Calvin Ridley was really good. Uh, you obviously at running back, you had Damian Harris who was a thousand yard running back. I wouldn't call him a star. You had, you know, quarterback Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavaloa as a combo were pretty good. I wouldn't call them stars, but you had you had some very good groups. But again, those are anomalies. 2016, Deshaun Watson clearly was a star. 2015, Alabama had uh, had Derrick Henry. He was clearly a star and he was a special, special player. Plus, you also had Calvin Ridley, who was a thousand yard receiver that year. And 2014, Ohio State had Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, you go 2013, you know, Jameis Winston. 2012, Alabama had multiples on that team. 2011, Bama had stars. I mean, you go 
2010 Cam Newton. So you go through the years, teams that are winning titles are teams that have stars. And teams that could beat those teams tended to have stars. I mean, what does the Ohio State-Georgia State game look like in 2022 if Ohio State doesn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. and C.J. Stroud? And what did it look like when one of those stars got knocked out of the game? C.J. couldn't do it all by himself. So when you ask yourself, does Notre Dame need stars, I think the answer is clearly yes, they do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. They don't have any right now in offense. And so then my, my next part of the question is, okay, well, what is a star? What makes a star? I'm arguing more for how a, a, a star player impacts the team on the field and not so much talking about who is a star from a perception, media, talking point aspect. So I don't care about whether you have a Heisman Trophy finalist or a Doak Walker Award winner or whatever the case may be. I don't care about that. I'm talking about a guy that is a star in how he performs. So what does that mean? It's a guy that produces – He's a guy that impacts the game in a way that other teams have to game plan for him in a major way. He has to be a focal point. He's a guy that is, to me, a star is also someone who has to be a clutch player. A star is someone who has to be a money player. So if you're putting up big numbers, but you're doing it because you're dominating against the two FCS teams on your opponent's schedule, or in Notre Dame's case, you put up you know, massive – like a running back at Notre Dame could have 400 yards rushing in two games – Against Central, against Northern Illinois, and against uh, uh, who, who's Miami of Ohio, right? But you end up with twelve hundred yards. That means in the other ten games, you didn't even get to hundred yards per game. You're not a star. You had great production, but you're not a star. Can you be a star? Yes, the production has to be there, but you have to have per impactful production. There's a lot of hollow production in today's game. There's a lot of guys that catch hundred balls in the NFL, and uh, and you watch them play, and you're like, that's just a volume guy. He's not actually impacting the game he's just catching check downs and crossers and you know he had six catches in the game in the no cover zone right and he averaged eight yards to catch on those plays 
So it's not so much about production alone. It's got to be impactful for production, production that forces teams to account for you and what they do. It has to include being a clutch player. It has to be accused. It has to be also a, a, a guy that is a money player. Clutch and money to me in this instance are two different things. Clutch is more situational. You know, are you good in third down? Are you good on in the fourth quarter? Are you are you good when your team comes behind? You can rally the troops. That's clutch. Money player in this instance for me is more big game, right? So are you a money player? Does that mean you step up against the best teams in your schedule? Do you step up in the postseason? Do you step up in those type of moments? When the lights are brightest, are you at your best? I think those are all aspects of, of to me, what makes a star player. And so, uh, you know, you think about Ezekiel Elliott, right, in, in 2014. And you'd argue, I'd argue that the best game Ezekiel Elliott, Elliott had all year was the playoff game against Alabama. I mean, he sometimes we forget. I'm trying to remember. Let me let me pull this up here real quick, and so I can look at the box score. I think it was like twenty to three when uh, Alabama turned the ball over. I'm pretty sure they Ohio State fell behind twenty to six, maybe. Yeah, Ohio State fell behind twenty one to six. And if I remember correctly, Bama was driving. I'm, I'm pulling up the play-by-play now because I, I like to be accurate. Like you said, I got the score wrong. It was I thought it was 23. It was 21 to six. Alabama's driving, and um, it's 14 to six. I'm trying. Where was that play? I'm trying to find that play. But basically, Alabama had a shot to really put the game away and couldn't take advantage of it. And then Ohio State just comes roaring back. They're down 21 to six. No, it was Ohio State that threw the interception. Bama scores to make it 21 to six. And it looks like they're about to get blown out. And Ohio State goes right down the field on the next drive, 12, 12 plays, 71 yards, and they score a touchdown. And Ezekiel Elliott, from that point on, basically put that team on his shoulders offensively and just destroyed Alabama. Had 230 rushing yards on 20 carries in that game and another catch for 13 yards. I mean, just he was just unstoppable in that game. And so to me, Yes, Ezekiel was a great player that year. I mean, he, the, the production was outstanding. He finished that year with 1,800 yards and 18 touchdowns, and he was a heck of a player. But his best games were in the postseason. Think think about this. Ezekiel Elliott from in the regular season had one, two, three, four, five, six games with over 100 yards. Only half his games got him over 100 yards. But here, his his highest rushing attempt of this, uh, or high, highest rushing total of the season that year, was 154 yards. He did that on the road against number five Michigan State. Three weeks later, three games later, I should say, they're playing Michigan, and this is a for a ch- they got to win this game to have a chance to play in the Big Ten title game and have a chance to go to the playoff. They're still not in yet. He goes for 121 yards and two touchdowns against Michigan in a two touchdown game. So hot two two three best performances. Had 182 yards against Cincinnati that wasn't that good. 139 against Maryland. 107 against Indiana. He had 109 against Penn State, who was not very good that year. They were a seven and six team. You know, so again, I mean, a good season. There's no doubt, a good season. He had thousand yards going into the to postseason. But once he got to the postseason, you saw a dude that was phenomenal. So end of the regular season, over a thousand yards. He's got ten touchdowns. Very good season. Big Ten title game against Wisconsin. Number 13, Wisconsin. Zeke Elliott goes for 220 yards on 20 carries, two touchdowns. Semifinal game against Bama. 230 yards on 20 touchdowns on 20 carries, two touchdowns. 
and I'll see my 220 and raise you 246 in the title game against Oregon on 36 carries. Four touchdowns in the national title game. That is a dude that said when the, when the lights were brightest, when the games were the biggest, he was at his best. And it was the same thing the next year. I mean, you know, you have that disappointing game against Cincinnati, I mean, against Michigan State in the year. You lose, you get knocked out of the playoff. There's all this controversy. He actually was, was having a brilliant season up to that point in time. And he talk, you know, claps back to the coaches a little bit. They should have got me the ball more. Urban Meyer was like, yeah, you're right, we should have. Next two games, they go on the road and play Michigan. He carries the ball 30 times for 214 yards and two touchdowns. Goes into the Fiesta Bowl against a, a, a against Notre Dame, has 149 yards on 27 carries and four touchdowns. So he he talks about I, I should get the ball more, I should get the ball more. They give him the ball more, and he goes off and handles business. So again, that's the difference between a guy that produces and a guy that's money, right? You can rush for a bunch of yards and not be a money player, but Ezekiel Elliott was at his best in the biggest moments, and to me, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about a star a guy that really comes out and is that kind of big big money game big moment player. Think about this. In in when in his career he played against Michigan twice, he played in the Big 10 Championship once, and he played in three postseason games. That's six games that you would consider the biggest games he played in. In those games he rushed for 220, 230, 246, 214, 149 and 121 his lowest performance in those six big games was 121 yards against Michigan in 2014 in a game he had two touchdowns rushing and only carried the ball 17 times so he went for 7.1 yards per carry that's the difference between money and productive now sometimes money equals productive but they don't always mean it so I think we've been able to clearly define what a a star is I think there's one more category to look at. And sometimes you may not have a star, individual star, but your position group can be that. I, I think of Michigan in 2021, in 2022. I think of Notre Dame in 2017, where you don't have a, a star player per se, but you have a star group. Now, Notre Dame had Quentin Nelson that was a star, but Michigan didn't have that in those two years. So you could have a receiving core that maybe doesn't have one individual star or a running back room that doesn't have one individual star, but as a group is highly productive, steps up in the big games, so they're money, and they're clutch. So I think you need at least one of those two things to truly be a championship football team. And I, and I think of, yes, Georgia had Brock Bowers, when you go book, look at them in the postseason of 21 and 22, there was a different member of the receiving core every game that stepped up and had a big game. And I think that's important as well. So I, I, I think that Notre Dame needs stars if they're going to compete for championship just because the evidence shows that most of the title teams had that. The question then falls down to, does Notre Dame have a star player or two or three? Who right now, the answer is no, they don't. Do they have potential for those guys to be there? That's what we're going to spend our time on. And do they have any position groups that could be that? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So we talked about, you know, what, what makes a star, whether it be an individual or player group, who could those players be? And what kind of impact can they provide for Notre Dame as we talk about what this team can be and what the expectations are, which is a team that goes out and competes for national championship.
let's begin this star conversation talking about Riley Leonard. Is Riley Leonard a star right now? No, he's not. He's a very talented player. Had a very good season two years ago. Riley Leonard could be in the Heisman conversation and not be a star. Again, we're not talking about production alone. We're not talking about perception. We're not talking about who's the media darling. Who's the guy that, that, that you know, look, if you're the quarterback in Notre Dame and, and Notre Dame wins and Riley Leonard's a good player, he'll be in the Heisman conversation. It doesn't mean he's a star. A star is what I talked about. Yes, the production is there, but you are you're it's impactful production, it's clutch production, and you're a money player. Riley Leonard could lead Notre Dame to an 11 and 1, 10 and 2 record, put up great numbers, and you look at it and say, Yeah, we didn't play very well in that one loss to this team, we didn't play very well in that one loss to that team. But man, he put up mega numbers in those other games, and so now he's a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Okay. Does that make him a star? No, it makes him a media darling. What I'm talking about, whether he gets the respect nationally or not, is can Riley Leonard be a player that is a true difference maker, that can put a team on his shoulders, whether the media recognizes it or not, and says, I'm the dude you have to prepare for every single game. If you don't dictate the majority of your game plan to stopping me, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Riley Leonard is not that guy right now. I think he can be, and that's the discussion. And, and here's why I say that. I think to be a star in today's game in college football, you either need to have like truly elite arm talent, and arm talent to me includes the things that are mental, because, yes, you can throw the ball a country mile, you can throw it a 1,000 miles an hour, you can throw it 80 yards, you can do whatever the case may be, but you don't know where to throw it. You don't have the accuracy, all those type of things that, that you don't have. Or, you know, you think of like Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, the Aaron Rodgers, guys that weren't elite athletes, elite runners, elite dual threat guys, but just were brilliant throwing the football. Or you can be a true dual threat guy. Now, like I don't count Joe Burrow as a dual threat quarterback. Can, can Joe Burrow run and make plays with his legs? Of course he can. He showed that in college. You know, the year that they won the national title, Joe Burrow ran for 368 yards and five touchdowns, but that was over 15 games. And, you know, there's a lot of it was scrambles and things, and, and he would make some plays, but it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you have to account for Joe Burrow's legs. He was a great thrower. He had great arm talent. He would, had a great mind for the game. Then there's the other type of, of star quarterback, which is the guy that's more of that, that impactful dual threat guy. Maybe he's not an elite thrower. Maybe he's not an elite runner, but he's really good at both, and he just completely changes the game. And then there's other guys that are more of the unicorns, like, you know, Lamar Jackson was was great at both in college. I'm not saying Ray Leonard has to be Lamar Jackson to be a star, but he has to, to me, in order to be that kind of player, be more of a, I can I can hurt you with my arm, and what does that mean? That doesn't mean running around scrambling, teams come up and you throw it over their head. It means if you are going to have a game plan that forces me to stay in the pocket, I'm going to rip you up. I'm going to make great decisions pre-snap. I'm going to know who my keys are. I'm going to read my keys. I'm going to get the ball out on time. I'm going to get the ball out in space. I'm going to be – my anticipation skills are going to be excellent. My timing as a thrower is going to be good. I'm going to be accurate getting the ball where it needs to go to, all those type of things because I trust my players. I trust my teammates. And if you're going to sit there and drop eight, you know, drop seven and, and have your guys spy, whatever the case may be, to keep me in the pocket, that's fine. I'm going to rip you up. Riley's not that guy right now. At least he wasn't a Duke. I think he can be. I think he has the 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 potential intellectually, 
to to execute an offense like that from a pre-snap post-snap decision-making standpoint he has to me the arm talent from a he doesn't have a bazooka but he's got pretty good zip 25 and in uh, he can he can i've seen him make you know 10 12 yard out cuts from the far hash and and make them impressive throws he doesn't throw it 70 yards i think the furthest i've seen him throw the ball in the game was about 54 55 but he did it wasn't like a muscle throw where he's got to like you know really get that get that out it was a drop back drive off your back foot get that ball out of the top need a guy so i've seen a couple throws like that where one of you know 50 to 55 yards is plenty and and you know he's a guy that has to continue to improve his footwork to make sure that the ball he doesn't have those just bad misses that he'll have that are technique driven He's got the tools to be that. He just hasn't put it all together yet. Part of it's the system he played in. Duke did not ask him to do a whole lot vertically. It was a very conservative offense. Like, let's not turn the ball over. Let's not take too many big risks. There were times he'd throw the ball down the field a lot more. I think North Carolina two years ago threw some deep balls. Uh, Kansas two years ago did a lot of that. And so I think he has the ability to do it. He's just going to be asked to do a little bit differently at Notre Dame. And I think he has a talent to execute it, but now he's got to prove it. But then, of course, he does have the playmaking ability. He does have the ability, even if you don't do any – he could go out there and run for 100 yards and you don't call one play for him from a running standpoint. It's all off scrambles or read zones, which technically is kind of called for him as an option. But what I'm saying is there's no Q powers, there's no Q sweeps, there's no Q draws. There's none of those type of things where it's just designed to he's carrying the ball. I'm talking scrambles and just keeps off RPO action or read zone action. And, and that's an impact player. You want to drop seven, drop eight, he's going to tuck it up, make one guy miss, and next thing you know, he's running for 15 yards. And he has that a bit. Now that he has shown. You go back and watch the Clemson game. You go back and watch the Notre Dame game. You know, he makes Notre Dame's All-American corner look silly on an outside run in the fourth quarter to set up their 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 go-ahead fourth quarter touchdown run. He has that. The question is, can he develop the ability as a thrower to be that kind of special player? That's the question. My excitement, and I know Ryan's in the chat, he can speak for himself, but I believe, and and I and I think Ryan believes it, but like I said, he can speak for himself because he is in the chat that he does have the ability to be a much more productive and impactful thrower of the football. The question is to what degree is it enough to where he's good enough with all that's around him for Notre Dame to be a great team, or is it enough to where he can say, because of my ability to throw and run, we can go out there and beat anybody. To me, that's the difference between the first version of Riley Leonard can get you a couple playoff wins. The second version of Riley Leonard can get you a championship. That's the bigger question. I'm confident the first version we're going to see where he's a good thrower and a dynamic runner. That gets you into the playoff. That gets you a win over the 12 seed or the 11 seed or the 10 seed. That gets you a second round win over the four seed or the three seed. I don't know that that's good enough to beat the next two opponents. Maybe one. I don't think both. The first one's still pretty good. And that star power, the degree to which that becomes is going to determine it. There's a couple others I look at. I think Mitchell Evans has a chance to be a star. The reason I'm hesitant on Mitchell is because just the, the injury history that he has, it, it, it makes it harder for me to say once he's back, build the whole offense around Mitchell. It's hard for me to say that. 
when you look at his production last year, I mean, his entire career and the excitement that we have for him is really built around what he did in four games, Ohio State, Duke, USC, Louisville, and actually five, Louisville and, and Pitt. Not even USC. He wasn't, he wasn't very productive in USC. It's, it's Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, and Pitt. He was so good in those games that you're like, that guy has star power. But he's a guy that only caught 29 passes for 422 yards and one touchdown last season. You know, and 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 the reason why? Because he got hurt. Now, if he doesn't get hurt and missed the last four games, his numbers would have been way better. I mean, you're you probably adding another 16 to 22 catches onto his title, uh, onto his on his uh, stat line. You're talking about averaging probably adding another probably three to three, four hundred yards to his stat line, maybe a couple more touchdowns because they were getting into the weak part of the schedule. Because think about what the reason that that part of me I'm pushing back on on Mitchell is because the injuries, the lack of a track record of success. The reason I'm excited about it though is the talents there. But number two, what was the stretch of games I just talked to you about where Mitchell was at his best? It was the toughest stretch of the year. Think about the four games I just mentioned: Ohio State, brilliant; Duke, brilliant; Louisville. He was the best thing you had. He had four catches for 71 yards and a touchdown. And let's not forget, he had like a 35-yard gain brought back because of a penalty on somebody else. He would have been over 100 without that. And then he was 5 for 66 against Pitt before the injury. I mean, so you're talking about that toughest stretch where your offense was struggling. The only offense you had in those three games primarily was Mitchell Levin. So he's got that money part down. I mean, he steps in for Michael Mayer in the bowl game last year and plays excellent. You know, has a great third and long conversion, has the game-winning touchdown, Pat, reception. Like, Mitchell can be that guy. The question is, can he stay healthy for an entire season? I mean, we're talking about, can when it, let's say Mitchell misses the first month, just for sake of argument. He would still then have to play to win a title 11 straight games. That's something he's never proven he can do. That's my concern, and that's what makes me a little bit nervous about putting Mitchell in the star category. But he's got talent, check. When he has played, he's been productive, check. Is he clutch, check. I mean, he's had some big moments in games. I think we saw that against Ohio State. We saw that against Duke in some big moments he, with runs and catches and blocks, and he's money because his best games were against the best teams that they played. So – I think he ha- he checks all the boxes in that regard. It's just the other stuff that we don't know. We don't know if he can stay healthy. That's really the key. The other question is, he's more of a traditional tight end, and I have concerns about the ability of a team who has a traditional tight end, meaning not like a huge playmaker like a Brock Bowers. Can your best player – on a championship team be that kind of tight end. So it's not even about Mitchell. It's just about can 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 that type of player put a team on his shoulders? Because Michael Mayer couldn't. You know, I mean, as good as he was, he couldn't put a team on his shoulders like that because the tight end position is just a little bit different. So that's a question that I have too. But he could he he has a chance to be a special, special player. Here's another one that I have. And this is more of a group. And we just talked about it in the previous section. Running backs. Can Notre Dame's running back room as a collective provide you a star play? It's a it's it's a situation where I don't think any running back in the room becomes a star by himself in 2024. Maybe down the road. 
part of the reason is I don't know that any of them is going to be able to be so much better than the others that he is going to dominate 80-plus percent of the touches. Maybe that happens. And if it does, great. I'm more looking at it from the standpoint of can the room collectively, because here's why I think that could even be more impactful than one guy. If Audric has an off game and he's your dude, if he has an off game, you're just going to have an off day at running back, most likely. You know, I think of when I was a Broncos fan, I think of when when Terrell Davis went down in the Super Bowl, they're trying to win with like Derek Lavelle and Vaughn Hebron, right, coming at running back. The, the great thing about having the collective that Notre Dame has is that if Jeremiah is having an off game, okay, is Jadarian, is Jabron, is Kedron, is Aeneas, and then you have the quarterback aspect of it to take some of the pressure off. If Jadarian's having a bad game, okay, well, is Jeremiah, is Jabron, is Kedron, is it, you, you get the point? Now, okay, so Aeneas, or I mean, Jadarian and Jeremiah are both having an off game. Okay, is this the game that Jabron Payne steps in and he carries the team? Is it Kedron Young's chance to shine? Is it Aeneas Williams? And so to me, that's what makes this room so exciting is because the the deeper you are, the more slump-proof you are, right? That's the thing is like if you have one great receiver and the other opponents can kind of take him out of the game, you're in trouble because that's all you got. What, What makes a great entire group is okay you want to take that guy out fine we're going to dominate you with this guy we're going to this guy's going to rip you up and those to me are the questions that 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 you have to ask yourself about do you have a great player or do you have a great room i don't know that notre dame has a guy that's going to emerge to the point that he just separates himself and just dominates all the touches but i look at that group and i'm like i think that group has a chance to be a star room that's what i think and we saw enough from them in small touches to make me think they have a chance to be a clutch and money group. Cause here's what we know about the running backs, talent, check, depth, check, production, potential check. Do we know that they're clutch? I don't know if they've been given the opportunity to do that. Do we know that they're money? I don't know that they've been given the opportunity to do that. The two small snippets that we have are this. USC is coming back fourth quarter. They score to make it 31-20. If you don't counter, there's still plenty of time left in the game between Notre Dame and USC when you've got Caleb Williams on the other side of the field that if you go three and out, four and out, six and out, whatever, this game is now all of a sudden a chance to be really competitive, really competitive. And there's you know nine minutes left in the game, plenty of time for USC to make a stop go down and score, and now all of a sudden you're in a dogfight to conclude this game because you've let Caleb Williams kind of bring you back. What happens? Jadarian Price, 99-yard touchdown, ball game. It was a clutch moment. It was a big game, 8 o'clock, 7.30 game, night game, your rival, the the reigning Heisman Trophy champ, the the elite kick returner on the other team is the guy that set up that kick. Because remember, that was the sequence of that is that was an 18-yard touchdown drive by USC because Notre Dame had just punted to them uh, and Zechariah Branch returns it like 60-plus yards to, to get him inside the 20, and that's what set it up. So anything you can do, I can do better type of response from Jadarian Price. And also, you, you've watched the video. He talks about, like, I called it. I mean, he basically called it that week. I'm going to take one to the house this week. That tells me that's a clutch gene. Now, I don't know if Jeremiah Love has that. 
my and, and it's hard to look at high school production to say because of this, it's going to go to high school. But the, the best game J- Jeremiah Love ever had in high school, ever had, was the state championship game his senior year. It was a monster. He had I, – I, if I remember correctly, I had to, had to text Ryan this uh, and, and ask him. But but I, if Ryan, if you're in the show, respond to the chat. I believe Jeremiah had over 1,000 yards rushing in the playoffs his senior year, just the playoffs alone his senior year because I think they played – five four or five games and he had like a 300 yard game he was a star in the biggest moment of his career in high school just dominated in the postseason does that translate to college i don't know but it makes you feel pretty good about it right so you have guys that have shown a little bit of that clutch gene now they have to show it that they can do it at this level that's the question. But, guys, again, talent check, depth check, impact talent check. Have they made big plays in college? Check. The second data point, too, is you go out in the bowl game, you don't have Audric, you're running behind a brand-new-looking offensive line, you don't have Sam Hartman, you don't have Mitchell Evans, and the two running backs went out there and just ripped Oregon State up. That's the kind of clutch gene we're talking about. That's the kind of money gene that we're talking about. That's the kind of group that you look at and say, hey, we've got a chance to with this group to say – I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who's going to step up. I don't know who's going to be that guy. But between Jeremiah, between Jadarian, between Jabron, between Kedron, between Aeneas, between Devin, whoever the case may be, we're going to have at least one or two guys step up. And that, to me, is what kind of gets you excited about what that group can be. In that bowl game, we referred to Jadarian and Jeremiah combined and Devin Ford and Jabron Payne. Let me do the math here real quick. I believe the group combined for over 200 yards by themselves. So you had 106 from Jeremiah, 39 or 106 from Jadarian, 39 from Jeremiah, 30 from Devin, and 24 from Jabron. So those four guys combined for 199 rushing yards. Plus, Jeremiah caught a 13-yard touchdown pass. So between the three of them, you had over 200 yards of offense in a bowl game where they were having to replace your best player. That's that to me, it says, okay, they've got that money aspect to them. Was it a big bowl game? No. Was it a great opponent? No. But it was a moment that they had to step up and they did. And so I think they have a chance to be that. Now, here's the question that I have after this Who is going to be that type of player in the, in the passing game that steps up? Because it is, to me, easier to take a tight end like Michael Mayer or Mitchell Evans out of a game than it is a Brock Bowers type who you can move around more or a receiver who you can move around more. They're going to have to have somebody or the group as a whole step up to say, you don't have to be a star, but you've got to be clutching and be money at receiver or a couple somebodies. I will say this. If Notre Dame has at least one guy break out a receiver and become even in the conversation of being a star. And again, I'm not talking about perception and I'm not talking about first round. I'm talking about a guy that is a difference maker in college, good production, money, clutch, all of that. I don't know how you stop this offense because of what we've talked about in the other areas, but that is also the biggest question mark I have on offense. It is a question mark that I'm more confident gets answered than I have in the past because like last year, it was a, if Tobias doesn't step up, they don't have that kind of guy. He didn't step up. 
you can say he didn't he didn't step up, he didn't get the chance to, combination of both, whatever the case may be, that's the reality. If he didn't break out, you didn't have a star. 2022, if Lorenzo Styles doesn't break out, you don't have a star. He didn't, your receiving core struggled. The difference with this, and, and even in past years, I mean, even with Will Fuller, you know, 2014, if Will Fuller doesn't break out, Corey Robinson was a good player. I don't know that he was a star. Chris Brown wasn't a star. So you didn't have that guy that if he doesn't step up, you don't have a star. This group to me has a lot more of, this group has a lot more depth of potential. Could it be Chris Mitchell? Could it be Bo Collins when you look at the two newcomers? Could it be the light finally goes on for Deion Colsey? Could it be Jaden Greathouse? Could it be Jordan Faison? Could it be a, a freshman, Cam Williams, who who maybe doesn't have a thousand plus yards, whatever, but he's that big play money weapon? Could it be a situation where it's a different guy every week? You know, AM, this guy steps up. Against Louisville, this guy stepped up. Against Florida State, that guy stepped up. Potentially, potentially. But if one of those guys or a couple of those guys step up, Toward, at the very least, even if they're not stars, if they're clutch and and money in the two cat in the way that we broke them down, if that happens, then this offense is going to be special. Because I think the offensive line is going to be good. I don't think the offensive line is going to have any stars for 2024. I think as a unit, they can end up being pretty good, but they're going to be, you know, still kind of young in that regard. If the receiving core can step up, Mitchell is what we think he is. The running backs are what we think they are. Riley is what we think he is. Don't even play beyond their, you know, potential. If they can have some guys step up at receiver to be that clutch money players, that's what I think this offense needs. Uh, and, and it also then takes some of the pressure off of Riley and the running backs and Mitchell. So that'll be the big question mark because that's the group where I have the least confidence that a star is going to break out but I'm much more confident now than I have been in the past because it's not now just on one guy. If this guy, this guy has star potential, he doesn't break out though. Question mark. They're in a completely different situation now. So that's going to be it for this part of the show. Next, I'm going to get into a little bit of recruiting talk. A reminder, there will be no mailbag today. Before I get over to the recruiting conversation, do me a favor, folks, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you're listening via us uh, on our with our partners at Spotify or anywhere else, please give us a five-star review. We'd greatly, greatly appreciate that. And if you have not done so, I'm telling y'all, you're missing out. Boars at ourbreakdown.com. Definitely check that out. You're going to love the site. Love the things we got going on. Really good conversation going on today. Great intel. I'm going to have a bunch of breakdowns coming up here real soon. I still have to drop that off, that intel piece on recruiting. We'll dive into that. I got to get with Ryan. We'll, we'll get that out before he leaves for the combine. So uh, I'll get with him tonight. And we'll get that out. Get all the information from the staff. We'll get that out to you. So definitely want to make sure you check that out. We're going to do recruiting next, folks. But before we do, just want to thank you for being with me today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.